ओम ज्ञान चिरंधस्यानंजन शलाकाय Translation: The devotees of the Lord are so forbearing that even though they are defamed, cheated, cursed, disturbed, neglected, or even killed, they are never inclined to avenge themselves. Report. Rishi Shamika also knew that the Lord does not forgive a person who has committed an offence at the feet of a devotee. The Lord can only give direction to take shelter of the devotee. He, referring to Shamika Rishi, he thought within himself that if Maharaj Parikshit would countercurse the boy, he might be saved. He, the second he refers to Shringi, but he knew also, Shamika Rishi knew also, that a pure devotee is callous about worldly advantages or reverses. As such, the devotees are never inclined to counteract personal defamation, curses, negligence, etc. As far as such things are concerned in personal affairs, the devotees do not care for them. But in the case of their being performed against the Lord and His devotees, then the devotees take very strong action. It was a personal affair, and therefore Shamika Rishi knew that the king would not take counteraction. Thus, there was no alternative than, than to place an appeal to the Lord for the immature boy. It is not only the It is not that only the brahmanas are powerful enough to award curses or blessings upon the subordinates. The devotee of the Lord, even though he may not be a brahmana, is more powerful than a brahmana. But a powerful devotee never misuses the power for personal benefit. Whatever power the devotee may have is always utilized in service towards the Lord and his devotees only. The devotees of the Lord are so forbearing that even though they are The devotees of the Lord are so forbearing that even though they are defamed, cheated, cursed, disturbed, neglected, or even killed, they are never inclined to avenge themselves. Very important advice for those of us who are aspiring to be devotees. Parikshit Maharaj was a devotee. Was and is a devotee of Krishna. So Shamika Rishi could predict <coughs> his behavior. If Shamika Rishi had not been Shamika Rishi, if he had been someone else in that situation, he might have thought that, well, now the now the king's going to come and attack us with his whole army and kill us. For treating him in such a way, but Shamika Rishi, being the spiritually advanced person that he was, could understand that Maharaj Parikshit. What's he going to do? He's not going to do anything in counteraction to the curse that has been unjustly meted out to him. Shamika Rishi was correct. There was no action from the side of Parikshit Maharaj in counteraction to the curse meted out to him by the son of Shamika Rishi, named Shringi. This light can be turned off, is it not? Busy collecting money for the temple, so it's just as good a policy not to unnecessarily. Throw it away. <clears throat> well, this is very good advice for us who are aspiring to be devotees, following the footsteps of the great devotees. Yesterday evening in the class, I used the word prema lot. Uh, we're talking 
about the ecstatic love, the ecstatic loving feelings of the devotees for Krishna. The preem is not uh, some nebulous sentimental concept, but that it can be seen in the personality of a devotee, in the person of a devotee, how he acts, how does he behave, that the symptoms of his transcendence will be seen therein. The principal symptom is that he's attached to Krishna. If one is actually attached to Krishna, then he is not attached to personal lab puja pratishtha or gain or the desire for being worshipped and being respected. So it's a great test when one is defamed, cheated, cursed, disturbed, neglected or killed. How one reacts. No one likes any of these things. It's, it's, it's not that uh, people make plans to become defamed, cheated, cursed, disturbed, neglected or killed by others. Of course, some devotees do that uh, in unusual circumstances. There, there are instances of uh, devotees who are practicing bhajan, but they were so disturbed by materialistic people coming to get mundane blessings from them that they would do things like sprinkling fish scales outside their bhajan kuti or paying a local prostitute to sit outside just so that people would think this uh, this so-called babaji is just a fish eater and a womanizer so he, he's bogus okay I won't go there to get blessings from him and in this way the Babaji would be defamed by others as a cheater and would peacefully go on with his bhajan without being respected by others. But that's unusual. For aspiring devotees, rather than imitating the preem of highly advanced devotees, we can follow in their footsteps by Performing bhajan, bhajan means the activities of hearing and chanting about Krishna and serving Krishna. And this kind of advice that we get in this verse about how to, how do we behave, how do we react, we can remember this because in this world, especially in this Kali Yuga, Everyone is subject at any time, with or without reason, to be defamed, cheated, cursed, disturbed, neglected, or even killed. So, how we react to that is a great test. And for aspiring devotees, it's good to remember this. I say aspiring devotees. Uh, often we say, well, we'll hear someone say, well, I've been, a, I've been a devotee for 15 years, or so on and so on. How long have you been a devotee? And when someone asks me, uh, how long have you been a devotee? I, I may reply something like, well, I've been in the association of devotees for X number of years. But I can't say, I'm a devotee. If I say, I'm a devotee, Amito, what is that? Amito Vaishnav e buddhi hoile amani na hobo ami. If I think I am a Vaishnava, I'm a Vaishnava, yeah, I'm a Vaishnava. You should become my Das Anudas because I'm a Vaishnava. I'm, I'm a Vaishnava. If I think like this, then there's no question of being humble. And if you're not humble, then you can't be a Vaishnava. So if, you think you're, if I think I'm a Vaishnava, then I'm not humble. If I'm not humble, then I'm not a Vaishnava. And what's more, if I think I'm a Vaishnava, I think, well, uh, people should respect me. Why aren't they respecting me? What's wrong with you? Why aren't you respecting me? 
and this contamination will enter the heart and then one will become instead of actually being a Vaishnava one will become a first class candidate for going to hell so it's not a good idea to think when we read the verse the devotees of the Lord he's talking about me we shouldn't think like that Shamika Rishi has turned out Parikshit Maharaj but the rest of the we, were, we also shouldn't think well I'm not a devotee so I don't have to follow this <laughs> so when I'm defamed cheated, cursed disturbed, neglected or someone tries to kill me I damn well will avenge myself kick you in the face <clears throat> well that's the general reaction you rascal he's a Vaishnava <laughs> well he didn't try to avenge himself yet we don't think he will because he's a Vaishnava but generally if someone defames, cheats, curses, disturbs, neglects or attempts to kill us we react in the same way They'll, and that's what keeps the movie business running on right if someone says something or does something to someone else and then they do something back to them and then they do something back to them and then they do something back to them and it's called samsara dava anala you know, it can start with a small thing someone says something and someone misunderstands and then they do something in retaliation for something which wasn't even intended or just some very minor insult and they take it in a very major way the whole first world war came because one person was shot dead of course he was a a prince which is a pretty big shot but uh, as a result of that millions of people died of course that was the there was uh, a lot of undercurrents before that but that was the that was the excuse they needed to start the first world war one bullet and then after that millions of bullets <coughs> so especially in Kali Yuga uh, Kali Yuga means Kolahal the, uh, the age of quarrel and someone who is free from that tendency to uh, react when mistreated that is one of the symptoms of Vaishnava or even we can say a spiritually advanced person because there may even be uh, certain non-Vaishnavas who are uh, due to being fixed in the consciousness that I am not this body they are sthita pragya they are fixed in the intelligence of understanding I am not this body they are samadhi sthita they are fixed in maybe in personal realization but they don't they, they are withdrawn from the uh, actions and reactions of this material world they don't get involved in it. So even though a devotee is uh, mistreated, he doesn't react in kind, doesn't get into slanging matches. It's a great test. Of course, uh, here, as I understand, there's a lot of emphasis the devotees under the guidance of Srila Radhanath Maharaj he, he himself puts a lot of of course you're not all his disciples but uh, definitely his influence is very strong here he puts a lot of emphasis on Vaishnav behavior how we should live as Vaishnavas so there is uh, an atmosphere being cultivated of proper Vaishnav behavior so we don't hear that at Iskon Pune or Chopati of you know, regular fist fights in the Brahmachari Ashram or even verbal fights which are not very common in other places but may happen in fact during Srila Prabhupada's presence uh, such things 
were not uncommon. Verbal fights, I mean the GBC meetings uh, were known for their feasty spirit. And when I say feasty, I'm not talking about taking prasadam. It's F-E-I-S-T-Y, which means spirited, but maybe not always in the most uh, favorable way. I mean, there was a lot of competitive spirit, we could say. So, uh, we don't get that very much nowadays, at least not openly. (laughs) That laughter suggests that maybe it's all going on behind closed doors. Well, anyway, that's more cultured. If you're going to fight within the family, it's if it's going to happen, better do it behind closed doors. And then outside, the husband and wife are all smiling and very nice. And if you're going to fight, then do it privately. That's all. That's more culture. But better not to fight at all. It's not easy in this Kali Yoga. But anyway, this is, this is a test. And... Uh, in some ways, we have to see, or, or we, we can, uh, we can suppose that more t- tests may come that we're not aware of in the uh, temple. That's what I'm saying. There's a, here, there's a, an, an endeavor, and a very good endeavor, and a very successful endeavor, to, as far as I can understand, to create a community of Vaishnavas in which devotees are living with each other and respecting each other. And it's not an easy thing to do in this Kali Yoga, but to a large extent, that is being achieved. But uh, we don't know what the future will bring. We hope and we pray that everything will go smoothly, but uh, it's a law of the material world which has also uh, been noted by one Mr. Parkinson that if things can go wrong, they will. So... Or maybe that was Murphy, I can't remember. One of the two. So things can go wrong. And when things go wrong, that will be the real test. As long as Parikshit Maharaj was sitting on his throne and everyone was praising him and everything was going nicely, well, it's easy to be, relatively easy to be well behaved in such a situation. Of course, Parikshit Maharaj, uh, as we understand, being influenced by the internal energy, he's never actually influenced by the external energy, he appeared to have misbehaved in placing a dead snake on the shoulder of Shamika Rishi as a, uh, as a, kind of mocking him. Oh, it's a kind of mocking, isn't it? You see, oh, what a great sadhu. He's such a great sadhu, so deep in meditation, he doesn't even get what to welcome me. Well, he deserves a garland. All right, let's give him a dead snake as a garland. So it's a kind of mockery. But Parikshit Maharaj did so in being impelled by the internal potency of the Lord to create a situation in which the Srimad Bhagavatam would be spoken. But the reaction that was made by Sringi was too much. Uh, by stating herein, by Shamika Rishi, by stating here that the devotees of the Lord, they don't act to avenge themselves. He was simultaneously praising Parikshit Maharaj and indirectly Tiraska, 
he was indirectly uh, rebuking his son. You have you have acted in a way which a, a Vaishnav like Parikshit Maharaj would not act in. Well, you could say that well, Sringi he acted in such a manner because his father was defamed. But Sringi didn't have transcendental knowledge. He was he was identifying with his father in a material way, so he took it as like an insult to himself. So Shamika Rishi was in this way pointing out that the Vaishnavas are greater than the Brahmanas. You're thinking that you're a Brahmana and therefore you're the, uh, the Vaishnava or the, is lower, or the Kshatri, you're thinking the Kshatri is lower than you. But actually he's a Vaishnava and is proven by his better behavior. He's not being disturbed whereas you are disturbed. So it all came to happen very quickly. Parikshit Maharaj was the lord of the earth and all of a sudden he was told you have seven days to live. So, just like that. He had seven days to prepare for death but it was just shocking. It didn't, it didn't uh, there was no warning of that. So that can happen to any of us. Just all of a sudden, that's the nature of this material world. Things can change. And even though we are practicing devotional service in the association of devotees, things can change. Suddenly. And, and situation which might have been very favorable can all of a sudden become very unfavorable. We find uh, that after the departure of Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur from this world, that very soon after his departure, there was a there was a major rift between his disciples. Actually, not uh, it wasn't such a major rift, but some some of the leading devotees left the major organization and they started organizing themselves against it and uh, eventually became court cases and and the same movement that everyone had been living in relatively peacefully of course there was undercurrent tension even in the time of Bhaktisattva it eventually uh, burst out and there was very uh, bitter feelings and fighting, literally fighting. And uh, even there were reported some case of murders. And it became a very bitter spirit. The same movement in which everyone had been feeling very confident and, uh, and as long as Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasvatthaka was present, it, it became a traumatic experience for those who were simply coming and these people were they came and they wanted to do bhakti serve the Lord but all of a sudden they found themselves in a situation they had to choose between this camp or the other camp one of two camps and many of them reacted by saying well I don't want to be part of either of these camps and some of them just left the brahmacharis who had committed themselves to living all their lives in the temple in the mat they just said well I'm going home, forget it. It's, uh, it's too crazy around here. Or some of them, they started their own muts, and then the whole thing, the whole preaching spirit was lost. So it was, it was a highly uh, traumatic experience that the movement they had given their lives, surrendered their lives within, became totally fractured by internal quarrel. So some of them became some became committed on either side and there was lots of I mean really uh, bad name calling and each, each of the other parties presumed the others to be complete demons and then eventually after some years when one of the prominent figures 
passed away, then in the magazine, in one of the magazines printed by one of the factions, they uh, well, they had regular obituary section. So in in one copy I saw actually one of the uh, editorials staff, his name was given at that time, was Abhay Charaaravinda Das. So uh, in this magazine had. I can't remember exactly the word. Nirjan. Nirjan means passing away. And it gave the life of some devotee who passed away. And then in the next column it said, uh, said, Shubh Mrityu Kasamacha, something like that, in Bengali. So very good news of, of someone has died. And it said, this person has died, and it's, we're all very pleased because he was a great demon. He's talking about one of the leaders of the Gorya Math. He was on the other side. So, it was very extremely heavy. Now, I'm, why am I stating this? Well, um, because we also, uh, we don't know. Now we're living in a very sheltered atmosphere. And we pray that we may continue to do so. But we can't say for sure. There's no guarantee that this particular sheltered atmosphere may stay or that we will be allowed to remain within it. We don't know what plan is there for Krishna, from Krishna, or what test Krishna has for us. What is ahead of us? Individually. Maybe that the the, uh, the one particular ashram goes on in, uh, in a very nice way, but for some reason beyond our control, we may not be able to remain within that society. We don't know. We find that Narottam Dash Thako is another example, a more, mm, what shall we say, salubrious example, that... Uh, spiritually salubrious. That he, uh, along with his practically god-brothers, they were initiated by different Diksha gurus, but Shamananda Prabhu, whose disappearance is his today festival. So, Srinivas uh, Shamananda Narottam Prabhu Troy Kijai. That's part of the longer Jai Dhvani. These three, as young men, they studied together under Jiva Goswami. None of them were initiated by him, but they were, they were all initiated by different Vaishnavas, but they studied together under Jiva Goswami. And they were very happily living in Vrindavan, and they made a vow that we're living here very happily in Vrindavan, and we shall stay together as God-brothers and remain here for the rest of our lives in Vrindavan. So it's a very good vow. And shortly after that, Jeeva Goswami called them and said, Now you're well trained. All of you leave Vrindavan and don't remain together. You all go to different places and preach Krishna consciousness. Whatever you learn, Jare Deka, Jare Deko Tare Kaha Krishna Upadesh. Amaragyai Guru Haya Taro Edesh. He passed on the instruction received from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Parampara. Now you all go out and preach. So Narottam Das spent the rest of his life uh, desiring that when again can I have the mercy to live in Vrindavan. I went there, I spent time there, I became very much attached to Vrindavan, but uh, I'm, now I don't have that fortune. So for him it was, uh, of course, it was a totally uh, spiritual event and totally spiritual emotions. But for him it was, uh, was a spiritually traumatic event being sent outside Vrindavan, which he never recovered from, you could say. He never recovered from means he spent his whole life longing for being in Vrindavan. And in that way he was never outside Vrindavan because remembrance of Vrindavan, intense remembrance of Vrindavan is as good as being in Vrindavan. 
But anyway, these are just examples that you never know what's going to happen. And even your own guru, just like Jeev Goswami, he was the guru of Srinivas Shamananda Narottam, he may give you an order which you really don't want to follow at all, but you have to follow it. And Prabhupada often gave his disciples orders that they didn't want to follow, and they may have found it very difficult to follow. Even spiritually, not, not even materially, spiritually difficult. Srila Prabhupada sent Brahmananda Swami to Africa. It was very difficult for him, and even he was spiritually finding it very difficult, but Prabhupada wanted him to stay. You may say, well, why didn't Prabhupada give him, give him a break? It's very tough. We're talking about the sheltered atmosphere. There's no sheltered atmosphere. There's Brahmananda Swami and Africa. That was it. No association. Eventually some devotees came. But uh, it was really extremely difficult. And he was sometimes pleading with Prabhupada. Did you stick? Did you just stick? That's all. So uh, even uh, it may be that even our own guru gives us an instruction. Of course, nowadays we don't see gurus doing that much for whatever reason. I mean, in Islam, uh, we don't see them so much giving orders that they don't want to follow. But Prabhupada did that. That's one way the movement spread all over the world. The Prabhupada pushed disciples to their limit and beyond sometimes. It seemed, of course, there is no limit in Krishna consciousness, but uh, not all devotees were able to uh, maintain Krishna consciousness in various difficult situations. When I say not able to, or they didn't, of course, everyone is able to. Ultimately, we have to choose whether to serve Krishna or not, but it could be said that, well, uh, if Prabhupada had kept everyone very nicely together and then uh, they could have become stronger. And actually Prabhupada in approximately 1971, he uh, wrote a, a, a letter in which there's the well-known quote that uh, now we have expanded enough, now it's time to boil the milk. Srila Prabhupada gave the example. Instead of opening more and more centers and making more and more devotees, let's make the devotees strong. But for whatever reason, um, the expansion went on. Uh, of course, Srila Prabhupada's program was to boil the milk and expand the pot also. So, uh, it may be also that, you know, you see the young Western devotees they had so much energy that they may not have been such good candidates for sitting and studying a lot but they, they became more enlivened to go out and start new centers and open new frontiers but anyway uh, the point I'm making here is that we may even by our own guru's order what to speak of the very nature of this material world in which everything is subject to change at every moment. And as long as we are in this material world, even if we're practicing as devotees, you can never say what's going to happen. Just like Krishna was in Vrindavan. Even Krishna was in Vrindavan, but this material, Srila Prabhupada writes that, that this material world is so contaminated that even in Vrindavan, in the presence of Krishna, there were so many disturbances. Now, it, now we read in Srimad Bhagavatam how so many demons came to attack Krishna and we already know this, the, the story that Krishna kills them all. But Mother Yashoda didn't know the story when the uh, whirlwind came and then she couldn't find Krishna. I mean she was genuinely distressed. When the... She didn't know that, that Krishna carried away by the whirlwind was just performing his lila, and very soon that Vyoma Asura was going to be a, another dead Asura by the grace of Krishna. She didn't know that. When Krishna was captured by Kaliya and taken within the waters of the lake within the Yamuna, all the residents of Vrindavan felt dead. They, they, they were practically dead. 
They didn't know that Krishna is just playing a game. They uh, they felt as you know everything. You know we're just living here only for Krishna, and Krishna's dead, and therefore we are dead. And they didn't predict. They could never predict that one fine day some chariot would come trotting in, or some horses pulling a chariot would come trotting in, and the next morning it would go trotting out, and Krishna would go. They never predicted. It was. It was just, just like suddenly something you just it, I think we've all probably had this experience that suddenly you get the news someone has died just completely in the modern age it's common road accidents and then home accidents and there's so many accidents and all of a sudden you get the news it's, you don't expect it if an old person dies it's not surprising but if a young person dies then it's just shocking so like that, you know, this, uh, Krishna was taken away from Vrindavan and the residents of Vrindavan, they just, their whole life was turned upside down, inside out, back to front, just in a moment. They couldn't have predicted it and they spent the whole of the rest of their lives in, in uh, confusion, confusion and bewilderment. They just, what happened? Is it real? Is it true? They couldn't imagine so like that, we don't, we never know what's going to happen, even as devotees. It's not that, because we're living as devotees, that it's guaranteed that everything will go nicely in the material world for us. In fact, uh, it's practically sure, because that's what Krishna does, that we'll be put through many tests. And the test is not just, you know, well... Uh, can I control my tongue when they're offering more gulanjamans and my stomach's already full? That's one kind of test. But there may be more serious kinds of tests which, which fully test our commitment to Krishna and our advancement in Krishna consciousness. And there's absolutely no way to predict what will happen. All kinds of things can happen which we cannot even imagine. Just like the, the Rajavasis couldn't imagine that Krishna would leave. Or the members of the Gorya Mat, they couldn't imagine that their spiritual master's organization would fracture so acerbically. So these verses which we're reading, they're not just uh, you know, some kind of theoretical discussion but to be applied in our lives. I mean, I'm talking about major upheavals in our lives which are possible. But even daily, those devotees who go out on book distribution, they experience this. Especially, of course, in India people are pious, but as you may have noticed, especially those who do door-to-door -door book distribution, not everyone's very pious. And uh, although some people may treat you very nicely and respectfully, some people are very rude and uh, blasphemous and doubting. And they may say, they, oh, you're just dressing as a sadhu. How much profit are you making? How much do you keep for yourself? And they may say all kinds of nasty things. In the Western countries, more so. Actually, nowadays, not so much in the Western countries, but... In the 1970s, when we were distributing books, it was a great struggle. And devotees were often arrested and physically beaten. There was, uh, we used to hear stories of, there was uh, Pragosh Prabhu, he was in the airport distributing books, and then someone, some huge man came up to him and without saying anything, just bopped him in the face. Bop is uh, American or English slang for punch. Punched him in the face, and Pragosh fell down on the floor. The man walked on, Pragosh got up, put his glasses back on, and went on distributing books. So that was, uh, he passed a test very well, because you could get bewildered what's going on. But he just took it for granted. Well, some people won't like us, and uh, getting 
bopped in the face is uh, something you can expect from time to time if you're distributing books in America in those days. So, all right, it happened. It wasn't very pleasant, but I have my duty to perform, so I'll go on doing it. When Srila Prabhupada was present, uh, as today, there's always talk of some war. Everyone's always predicting some war. And, uh, you know, they go on predicting and predicting, and eventually, inevitably, there is some war, and then you say, see, I predicted it. So, uh, anyone can predict a war, because there are always wars. It's just a matter of time when there will be one. So, uh, Devotees were talking about, wow, what shall we do, and this and that. And I was saying, well, what will you do? You chant Hare Krishna. And it's, it's, Jibane Marani Gati Arnahimo. It's just like, you know, there's, a, there's always wars in human society, especially in this Kali Yuga. So it's a, it's a major disturbance for those who are in a war, because living with the fear that just like when you go to sleep at night, uh, you don't know that some bomb may drop on you in the middle of the night, or your house may be attacked by people who come and shoot shoot everyone dead. There's no, you don't know. It's you, you, mostly people. They just go to sleep and they expect, they set the alarm clock and they think, okay, we get up in the morning. We don't think anything of it. But people are living in a war zone. Uh, they they get used to the fact that you know the uh, we we may just get attacked in the night. They live with it. They're living in fear, and then then they, you find the refugees, and the, they run away from the war zone, and then they're living in some camp in some other country where the local people hate them because the local people have to pay taxes to support these people who they never liked anyway because generally people don't like their neighbors. Um, and uh, they think that all these refugees are just thieves, which is probably true, because they have to steal something to eat and live. And, you know, they're not welcome anywhere. They can't go back home. And then half their family is killed. And they have no prospects for the future. And they can't even get drinking water, and they have to walk five miles to get some drinking water, which is polluted and contaminated. Fight with the other refugees to get a little bit of it, and in like this. And they might have been even many times you'll find people there like they were from very respectable families, well-to-do, and all of a sudden they're just, you know, living like animals. So they couldn't predict it, but it happened. So you may think, well, this is a very gloomy, pessimistic outlook. Well, it's just a look at the material world. This is what we can expect. Don't expect that life will be a bed of roses. It's more likely to be a bed of thorns, because that's what the material world is like. And especially if we take two bhakti, Sri Bhakti Marga Shri Bhakti Marga Eha Kantaka Koti Rudha The path of bhakti is strewn with millions of thorns. You may think, wow, what am I getting into? I should have, you know, my father and mother were right. I should have, you know, stayed and been a software engineer and made lots of money. What did I join this movement for? Wow, it sounds terrible. They cheated me. They told me it was going to be all bliss, and now they're telling me that it's going to be all so many problems. Well, it is bliss, but the bliss is not cheaply attained. It's not, you know, it's not the kind of bliss you get from taking some intoxicant. Or, it's not cheap thrill. When we read about Purikshit Maharaj, Dhruv Maharaj, Ambarish Maharaj, so many devotees, they were experiencing the bliss of bhakti. But their bhakti was tested by extremely difficult situations that they were put into. And in that situation, their bhakti was tested. Sri Krishna Sharanam Mama. We can say that. 
But when the test comes, do we take shelter of Krishna? Or do we try to take shelter of intoxication, or, or some uh, demigod, or some bogus guru, or Maya in her many forms is offering shelter? But that is the uh, apparent shelter which plunges us back into birth and death. So, now we're studying. It's like a Gurukul. And in Gurukul there may be many tests. Just like we, we hear of Krishna and Sudama, how they went through many difficulties and their Guru was very pleased with them. But the Gurukul is a training for the difficulties which may be ahead. Of course, it might not be, we don't know, it may not be that uh, most of the residents of Pune become refugees. We don't expect it. Uh, but it's not impossible. Or we don't expect... Just like you see, the people, the Brahmanas and all the people, they were living in India and worshipping the Lord, and all of a sudden there were Muslim invasions. And although we're not supposed to talk about these things, because it's kind of taboo in modern India, I mean they were, uh, to a large extent, persecuted. And we hear stories of uh, certain Muslim kings who used to do a daily Abhishek of Shivlangam with the blood of Brahmanas. So, you know, for them it was uh, they couldn't imagine, you see, we were sitting here peacefully doing our puja and all this kind of thing, all of a sudden that uh, we're in such a situation where we're liable to be killed at any time. So, that's what I'm saying. It may be that we live our life very peacefully and we chant Hare Krishna and we go back to Godhead. And if so, well, all well and good. But there is no guarantee. So don't be surprised if things go wrong in the material world. That's another of the Murphy's laws, something like that. Don't be surprised if things go wrong. Be surprised if they don't go. If they don't go, yeah. That's the nature of the material world. So when things go wrong, do we remain a Vaishnava? That will be seen. Alright, so this gloomy class, I guess I can bring it to an end, but it's not actually gloomy. It's just, a, like I say, it's, it's a, a, an analysis of the material world, but how we react to it. If if in these dire situations we fall into maya, then it's gloomy. But then, you see, just like Parikshit Maharaj was put in this very difficult situation, but it wasn't gloomy, it was glorious. How, he, how did he react? His reaction has become glorious. I mean, there must have been thousands and millions of people who have been, of, of kings even, who have been insulted in the world in various periods of history, but among them all, Parikshit Maharaj is glorious because he reacted in a manner totally suitable for Vaishnavas. So, gloomy on one side, yes, but actually there's nothing gloomy for Vaishnavas, ultimately. Because, jivane morane gati ar nahimo, in any situation, their only goal is Radha and Krishna. And therefore they, they, uh, they, don't relate, they don't relate directly to this world, they just see that, oh, now, now this is the situation. Now this is going on in the material world. Well, I never had any real connection with the material world when things were going so-called nicely. And I don't have any real connection with it when it's going in not nicely. So it doesn't really make that much difference. That is a transcendental outcome to be cultivated. Hare Krishna. Are there any questions about this, please? Well, I guess devotional service, in the association of devotees, we tend to lose simplicity. We let, tend to lose what? Simplicity. Why? Because... Uh, I mean, do you have it in the first place? 
When we first come in the association of devotees, we respect them. And then after some time, familiarity breeds contempt. Is that what happens? Goryamak devotees don't have a different philosophy. It's the same, it's basically the same philosophy. The main difference that I can see between Goryamak and Iskon is that in Iskon we focus on Srila Prabhupada and they don't. But otherwise, I mean, they have a different liturgy somewhat, but otherwise the philosophy is the same. Yeah, anyway, I get the point, you know, there's this, you know, what to speak, these are Goryamat, and then there's, uh, you know, even within Iskon, you know, there's my guru's disciples and his, his guru's disciples and my guru's senior disciples and my guru's favorite disciples and, you know, we're always in the business of making divisions. <laughs> so, what's the question? What is ideal? Well, um, rather than making divisions according to groups, we should see, according to Shastra, what are the qualities of a Vaishnava and recognize Vaishnavism wherever it is apparent. Now, of course, there are groups, and those of us who have come to Krishna consciousness through the mercy of Srila Prabhupada, uh, we consider ourselves exceptionally fortunate to do so, and we should uh, endeavor to express our gratitude to Srila Prabhupada by cooperating together to serve his glorious mission. So, just like that, we need not blaspheme Goryamat devotees for being in the Goryamat, but at the same time, we have a certain mission to fulfill, which is somewhat different from theirs. So, I mean, there are differences, but the main thing is we should recognize Vaishnavism wherever it is apparent, and... uh, not make or, or not not make groupings along some kind of material identification or or, or even the, an organization may be spiritual but we can relate with it in a mundane way if we don't have developed consciousness if in other words if we're on the neophyte platform in which we don't see through shastra through the eyes of shastra then we'll just say, we'll tend to think we'll well, we're better. Why? Just like people think, well, uh, you know, Indians, we, we support India when they're playing Pakistan in the cricket game. Why? Because we're Indian. Indians are better. Why are Indians better? Well, I'm an Indian, so they must be better. So, it, it's just like this slow, kind of slogans that, Mera Bharat Mahan Hey. There's no... Uh, There's no philosophy or any reason. It's just, you know, my India is great. It's just a slogan. So if we say, you know, I'm a member of Iskorn, but we don't really attempt to understand what is the the transcendental purpose of Iskorn, then we could, uh, even though it's founded on totally spiritual principles, we could become what, what is called a dharmadvaji, that means we're just flying the flag. It's just like like nationalism or something. It's like Iskonism. Instead of understanding the, the transcendental purpose, we just take it as some... Just like mundane people, they identify, I'm a member of this caste, I'm a member of this country, and I'm a member of this company, and... And then they they uh, make rivalry with others on that basis. So if we identify with ISKCON as an organization in, in which our uh, the main duty of someone in ISKCON is to hate every everyone else who's a member of every other organization, even Vaishnav organizations, well, that's not really Vaishnavism. 
Therefore, Srila Prabhupada emphasized uh, understanding this philosophy that he's presented in his books. I don't know if that answered your question, but gave vent to some of my thoughts. Then, is it okay to associate more with particular devotees? We are advised to associate with devotees more advanced than us. Yes, that we should do. Yeah. Please pass the microphone back there. Well, you always say that. That's because you are very, uh, what shall I say, um, culture devoted. How can we detach from the material world at the same time hope to reform them? But well, we can't reform the material world unless we are actually detached from it. There's no question of reforming it unless we're detached from it. If we're attached to this material world, we're part of the problem. That's what we want to reform, is people's attachment to it. So uh, we can act in this world, but with detachment, as is stated in Bhagavad Gita. We act in this world, but we're not attached to it. And that's the only way we can effect real change. This changing from communist to capitalist, or congress to BJP, it doesn't... It just, uh, you know, it just moves the just moves the chess pieces around. But it's just, uh, it's the same game going on. It's just shouting different slogans and all marching together toward birth, death, old age and disease. Being whipped by adhyatmic, adibhotic and adidaivic clay. So it's just different permutations and combinations which make us think that it's different. But it's the same thing going on. The only real change is if we... Uh, if we can induce people to understand that we don't belong to this material world, we belong to Krishna. So, of course, we have to act within this world in order to affect, affect people within it, but that has to be with detachment. That we're not attached to this material world for its own sake. I might have a computer and a car and so many things, but I don't, I, if I'm using these things for the service, only for the service of Krishna, without attachment to them for my own sake, that is called anasaktasya vishayanyataham upayunjataha nirbandha krishna sambandhe yuktam vairagyam uchate. Proper renunciation. Living in this world, not being attached to anything within it, but attached to the service of Krishna. What is that? Can you say that again? I'm doing a service. In the material circumstances required for that service, they are disrupting that service. Should one become detached from that service? One, just like in a war, one may uh, change tactics, but one doesn't give up the war, one doesn't give up the fight. But it's not necessarily that if there's some disadvantage in a battle, that we give it up also. We may adopt some different strategy within that particular battle. So it's a general question, and I can't give a I can't give a specific answer because actually the circumstances in the material world are always changing. They never stay exactly the same. So uh, just like that, in a battle, the the commander he's constantly vetting the situation and uh, instructing his troops accordingly. 
So it may be that we have to change our tactics to uh, suit the circumstances. Even how we preach and what we preach about, of course, ultimately we're preaching about Krishna consciousness, but exactly in what way that may change. Just like we find uh, in ancient times, there was a lot of, we, we find the, well in Shastra itself, there's a lot of uh, detailed discussion and uh, among the Acharyas, there's much discussion of the various complex philosophies of uh, just, uh, Sankhya and uh, all these different philosophies which uh, nowadays if we start discussing them no one can understand them anyway and there's no real need to refute them because there's no one propagating them at least not in their pristine form so nowadays instead of talking against the philosophies of Gautam, Karnat, Patanjali, Ashtavakra and all these we may talk against the bogus ideas of persons whose names which I don't want to say but you all know who they are so uh, yeah, we, we may, someone may, just like we find, Srila Prabhupada often spoke about transcendental meditation, because when Prabhupada was preaching Krishna consciousness in the Western world, at that time there was some uh, bogus guru from India, as usual, who has died recently, um, who was propagating something which he called transcendental meditation. And we'll find Srila Prabhupada often spoke that about, well, you can't get, it's all cheating to say that you pay $30 and you take a mantra from me and you get God-realization. Because that's what this bogus person was saying. Well, there's not really much need for us to repeat this again and again and again, as preachers did in, of the Christian Conscious Movement did at that time, because 